Welcome to A Handful of Hope, where we bring you heart-to-heart conversations with heart-centered people. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of A Handful of Hope. I am so happy and grateful to be here with you today, and today it's just me solo. And the reason why is a friend of mine, Jay Rook, who we had previously done A Handful of Hope episode. I'll make sure to link to his interview him and I were talking and I was sharing with him a couple stories and he was suggesting that some of you all may enjoy hearing it. And what today is going to be really about is it's going to be about learning how to ask life enhancing questions, learning how to ask life enhancing questions. You see the quality of our lives, at least I believe to much extent is often determined or at least largely influenced by the quality of questions we ask ourselves or that we choose not to ask ourselves. And what I want to do today is to kind of outline for you some strategies to ask better, higher quality, life-enhancing questions. And by life-enhancing, this could be questions. These can be questions you can apply to your business, to your relationship, to your health, to any facet of your life you choose to apply them to. Because it's often curiosity which leads us down the most rewarding paths. Yet so many of us have been conditioned to accept rather than search. And I really want to pull back the curtain on that and shine a little light on how we can go about doing that. This year, 2020, at the time of this recording, it's December 2nd, 2020, has been quite the year of exploration for me, as I'm sure many of you. Two of the most gratifying and rewarding things I've done this year, I've been launching the Handful of Hope podcast as well as hosting, co-hosting the Building a Bridge series with my friend Jared Countess. It has been a and immersion into growth and examination of self, examining bigger societal issues, things I had never pondered or considered before, and really peeling back some of the layers of my most deeply held and entrenched belief systems and values and examining them and asking, are they really the truth? And is there something more about, is there something more there? Is there gold that's lying deeper? You know, sometimes I think we stop and settle for the the specks of gold, not digging deep enough to find the mother load that we're all really after. And I, I found that incredibly fascinating for myself this year and what I've discovered with this. Much of this deeper conversation and, and observational piece was inspired by a conversation I had with one of our earlier Handful of Hope series guests, a gentleman by the name of Abdi Nor Iftin. And Abdi was a Somali refugee who taught himself how to speak English, during the Somali civil war and occupation by radical Islamic extremism, Al-Shabaab, and was able to come to America where he wrote an incredible book called Call Me American. And I'll be sure to link to Abdi's interview below. It, It was one of my favorite ones I've done this year. And what really inspired me about furthering my own deeper exploration was Abdi and I shared this commonality. Him and I both grew up watching the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie Commando. Abdi learned how to speak English largely by teaching himself English by watching movies like The Terminator, Rambo, and Commando. Unlike my childhood and many of my fellow children of the 80s and 90s who grew up watching the testosterone-fueled movies of Schwarzenegger and Stallone, what was most memorable to Abdi was not about the guns and the blowing up and taking down the enemies. I think for myself and many of my friends, the quintessential scene for us in Commando is that scene where Arnold gets off the boat and he does the whole gear up scene, puts the paint on and there's all muscles and guns and bombs and everything else like that. 
it screamed what the 80s and 90s action movies were. But for Abdi, what was most memorable for him about that movie was not the violence, not the good versus evil, Arnold's going to take on the army, army and win. It was one of the opening scenes where Arnold and his daughter, played by a very young Lisa Milano, were sitting down at the breakfast table. And Abdi, watching it as a young man in war-toned Somalia at a time when his family would sometimes go for days, if not weeks, without eating, maybe a small amount of rice to share amongst them all, having to walk two to three miles a day to get water under the threat of sniper fire by ri rival Somali tribes, where they would, they would hone their proficiency with guns by shooting at young children, trying to kill children from other tribes so that they could be a more efficient and effective warlords and tyrants. So what resonated with Abdi most about Commando was this opening scene where Arnold and his daughter sit down to have breakfast. And there's this big sp spread of food plus a huge pitcher of orange juice. And Abdi shared with me that he remembers watching that scene and he said, wow, that's what America is. It's a place where there's so much food. There's more food than anybody can imagine eating. And I thought to myself, gosh, what an amazing perceptual shift, right? Me growing up in the United States, blessed with, you know, having access to clean water, having access to a roof over my head, having access to food in my refrigerator and my pantry to eat. It never even occurred to me what a, how important a simple scene like that would be because I was just sitting there saying, let's get on to the action, let's get on to the guns. But for someone like Abdi who had gone without food, without a roof over his head, without access to clearing water, under the constant fear of losing his life or the lives of his family, that scene meant everything. This inspired me to start to examine some of the things about why I believe what I believe and where is my opportunity to do deeper work and what are some of the bigger, more meaningful questions that I can ask of myself. See, I realize that sometimes in life our growth whether it's the growth in our business, the growth in our relationships, the growth in our health, or growth with our relationship with self. It's often handicapped by statements, assumptions, and generalizations. When we start to make statements about something, we're basically stating or putting a line in the sand and saying, this is where I stand and there's nothing else beyond this that's gonna change or shift me away from this. Now, statements are important to make because at some point we have to, we have to put our chips in. We have to decide that this is the best I can do right now and take that risk or take that leap of faith. Statements can serve us, but when it comes to growing, if we hinge on the, we hinge constantly on a statement that we made long ago, it may limit our ability to grow and learn and evolve based off of new information that's available, new perceptual opportunities that we have. An easy example of this is if we look at the recent political season and here in the United States, we saw largely mass amounts of polarization on both sides fueled by statements made one way or the other, that this side is this or that side is that, or this side is not this and that side is not that. Neighbors stopped talking to one another, families broke apart because people were so entrenched in their beliefs and unweathering in them. They made a statement that what I believe is what I believe and essentially what I believe is right, meaning that you now are wrong. And that was a hard pill for many of us to swallow and it resulted in deep wounds and hurt feelings that may be felt for many months, many years. 
you know, I, I've heard stories of some family members, they swear that they'll never talk to their, their brother, their sister, their aunt, their uncle, their father, their mother, their daughter, again, because of what they chose in the political season. To me, that's tragic. Because what that says is you're making a, you're making a life altering decision based on a myopic amount of information. One limited perspective and that perspective is your own. And so just like me watching the movie Commando where I only saw Arnold in the action, I could never imagine the perspective of a Somali refugee like Abdi, seeing instead hope in what was served at the breakfast table. So when we live, when we make statements, we often handicap ourselves from growth because we're hinging our hat, hanging our hat on our own perception and essentially saying our perception is the only one that it is right and everyone else is wrong. But if you want to grow, you have to be willing to ask questions. You have to be willing to relax the statements, step away from some of the perceptions and begin to explore something more. What does that look like? Well, we want to start with why. Why is it even worth us to grow? Because for many of us, we might be in a place of comfort. Life is good. Our relationships are good. Our business is good. Our health is good. Good is not great, but good might be enough. It might be a place where we're comfortable and content. And quite frankly, we may not want to grow. And if you don't want to grow, that's okay. You don't have to at all. But if you're curious about it and you're willing to rock that boat of goodness, you need to have some sort of reason to compel you to, to travel into murky waters because it is, it, gosh, who is it? I think Robin Sharma says something to the effect that change and transformation is it's, it's, it's challenging and difficult in the beginning. It's messy in the middle and it's glorious at the end. To rock the boat of good, you're going to have some turbulent times. You're going to go through some messy pieces. And as you begin to do that, you do arrive at a glorious ending, but you have to be willing to have that that why, some reason that compels you to go through the messy pieces. What is your why? Why would you want to grow? What's on the other side of that growth? Is it because you want to be a better example to your family? You want to be a better community leader? Is it because you believe that you have the capacity to make some sort of big world-changing movement and you need to grow to be able to do it? Is it because you want to be able to better serve your clients, your customers? Do you want to be a better lover, a better father, a better friend? What's your why behind the growth? We want to always establish that first so that we have something to come back to. And as we enter into those messy parts and we have those voice screaming, this is uncomfortable, I want to quit. We can come back to that why and realize that there is a reason greater than ourselves why we're doing this in the first place. And that why will help us compel, compel ourselves to continue forward. Once we have our why, we want to establish a what. What is it I want to change? What, are, what is it I want to grow on? What is it I want to work on? What is it that I want to evolve? And get to specifically and what's may lead to where's. Where in my life am I wanting to grow? Where in my business am I wanting to grow? What in my business am I wanting to change? What in my relationship am I wanting to change? We want to be very clear and specific about what that is, what it is, we're, where it is we're wanting to grow. Because without that, it's like being lost in the woods without a compass or a GPS. We could go around and around in circles and may never find the road out into where we want to go. We'll be far more successful if we enter in with a compass, a map, and a general direction of where we need to head. And it'll help us keep the faith when we start to go in through those messy parts in the middle. Once you have that clear what down and the where's, one thing you want to work on doing is you want to then be able to allow yourself, and I'm just referencing a couple of notes here really quick, is you want to allow yourself to 
release yourself from the luxury of labels. What do I mean by this? I want you to entertain for idea the notion that much of the challenging emotions in life, the anger, the frustration, the resentment, the content that, contentment that we may feel at times, it's often a byproduct of a situation, an experience, an event, a moment that happened. And there was an alternative choice available to us and we didn't take it. And because we didn't take it, in that moment, we may feel powerless to the circumstances that happened. And we're not willing to take full responsibility for the other choices that had been available. If I would just left the house five minutes earlier, I wouldn't have been in the car crash. If I had only been more attentive to my wife, she wouldn't have left me. If I'd only been a better mom and really sat and listened to my son, instead of spending so much time on Facebook, my son wouldn't be struggling with the dysfunction he is in his life right now. There is a countless amount of choices available. And for many of us, we start to feel these emotions because we realize at some deeper level, there was an alternate choice available, a choice we're unwilling to make. And that's not to say one is good, bad, right, or wrong. What it is, is it's an invitation to explore how we still have choices now and we have choices into the future. And we have to be willing to acknowledge that there is choice. And that choice in the, when we feel that we're prisoners of it is going to be, end up producing byproducts like anger, frustration, fear. We have to be willing to, as we ask these questions, ask bigger and better questions, the true life-enhancing questions. We have to be willing to remove the luxuries of labels. See, labels, statements, generalizations, ultimately what they do is they protect us from going deeper. Again, those labels are like making lines in the sand. They're like saying, this is, this is where I stand and nothing you're going to say or do is going to shift it or change it. Oftentimes, the labels, the statements, the generalizations we make boil down to very finite expressions of things that we believe, a good versus evil dynamic, a right versus wrong. And when you're entering into those kinds of labeling, that kind of belief system, what it does is it really shuts you off to growth. Why would you ever engage in a conversation with someone else if you already know you're right and you're already certain they're wrong? The conversation is not one then to understand one another or to grow and evolve your own consciousness and your own learning. It then enters into a, a competition of how to prove each other your points to be true, how to prove you're right, and more importantly, how to prove that the other person's wrong, how to prove that you're on the side of good and how to prove the other person is on the side of evil. This is extremely life-limiting. Because what ends up happening is we always are going to be creating in these dynamics an us versus them. There will always be an us versus them instead of a we and us. Us being a greater us than the us and the us versus them scenario. So the benefit of releasing labels when we're looking at asking bigger, more life-enhancing questions is it gives us freedom, it gives us growth, and it gives us tolerance. Now, this tolerance and freedom are the two key things for me, at least, because what it does is it allows us to venture into the realm of the uncomfortable, the places where we normally use the good versus evil, right versus wrong framework, which often are the places we need to delve in the deepest to really get to find and mine the gold that we're after. I'll give you a personal example of one I've been working on, and this is really what's been transformational for me. One of the things I've really wanted to work on this year is to stop judging people to, or at least to some extent, reduce the amount I judge. 
I'm all for love, acceptance, supporting people, helping people live their best life and create their Camelots and their businesses and in their lives. Yet still the very human part of me finds myself judging people. I judge people for choices in life, for gosh, anything that we can judge for, I will hear those voices of judgment come up. And nobody else hears that, but I do. And what ends up happening as a byproduct of that is I end up feeling pretty disappointed in myself, downright frustrated with myself, frustrated that I'm judging someone else, frustrated especially when I'm judging people that I care about. And what I would love to do instead is I would love to be able to be, be able to arrive at a place where I love and accept them for who they are and where they are. That I free myself from the shackles of judgment and I free them from being judged by me. And so that way my interactions with them or anyone else or other strangers is one generally from something that is of higher alignment and value to me, which is a place of love, curiosity, and desire to learn and grow. I can't learn and grow from judging. When I'm doing this kind of growth work and trying to ask questions, I like to take myself to extremes because often it's in the extremes that it's so uncomfortable to ask questions. It makes it much easier than to ask the questions as they are related to the initial what that you came up with. So when I look at, for me, the judgment place, I go to an extreme, like how, how can I learn to find compassion? And, it, and also what we under, understand is when we're looking at what it is we want, I want to start judging. We want to look at what the alternative is. So if you're the, what you want is you want to grow your business or you want to stop running into this wall of your business, the alternative would be, I want to grow my business to X or whatever that is for you. I want to improve my relationship to whatever. So I want to stop judging. What I really want to do is I want to be able to have more compassion to human beings. I'll take myself to an extreme, an example like this, where how do I have compassion then for people that we call terrorists who would fly planes in the World Trade Center? Boy, that's a, that's a heavy one. I remember very vividly September 11th, my mom coming and waking me up and saying that the World Trade Center is on fire. Turning the TV on with the newscast from the Today Show and the, the anchors trying to discern what was happening, all the while seeing those images of the towers burning. I remember watching the first tower go down, then the second. And as the report started to come in of a possible plane crash and then it, an intentional plane crash and only to find out that the plane had crashed into the Pentagon and the other one was downed in the field. I, like so many of us, felt anger, hatred, a desire for revenge. You know, I remember the idea of joining the military like so many other people were joining with and going over and taking the fight to them because that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to fight evil. And that, that narrative of good versus evil is very much thrown around. I think it's been thrown around in most wars and most conflicts. This isn't any way to say or justify the, the actions that they took in those days. Uh, I think it was horrific and awful what happened to it. And I can't imagine how challenging and difficult that has been for the families and so many people who, and friends who were affected by the tragedies of that day. That's not what this is about, about trying to find compassion is about making things right. What finding compassion is, is about releasing myself from the prison that that anger, frustration, and life-limiting growth perspective of good versus evil, how it imprisons me. 
I go back to a story like Abdi's for where my growth comes. And so I'll ask myself questions like that. Well, being asked, why would they do this? The easy answer is, is, well, they did it because they're evil. They did it because they're radicalized. They did it because they hate the United States. They did it because they're terrorists and that's what terrorists do. All of that could be true. And most of those things, if we really stop to think of it, are very surface level superficial answers. Were they born a terrorist? Were they born hating? Probably not. Just like most children here in the United States and, and elsewhere in the world, we're not born hatred with hatred. They probably they weren't even born with the understanding of what the United States or England or Spain or, or South Africa is. They were just born with the same desire all of us were of wanting to be held, be warmed, be loved, be nurtured, be taken care of, and to be made safe. It's just other people, unlike us, they had different life circumstances and different life choices. So I remember in Abdi's book, he was sharing these stories about when, after the Somali civil war happened, eventually radical Islamic uh, extreme groups like Al-Shabaab came in and started taking over and occupying Somalia. And what they did is he began to start force recruiting children. And force recruiting is essentially you're, you're going and taking young boys at gunpoint and forcing them into radical Islamic extremism under the threat of, if you don't do this, we will kill you or we will visit harm and kill your family and friends. Not a lot of choices there for young children. And I think about this when I'm five, six, seven years old playing with action figures and watching cartoons, these young children are being put into a school, if you will, that is schooling them on how to be a better terrorist, how to kill more effectively, how to shoot a machine gun, how to hate, and how to believe that if they, they visit great harm on those who cause them injustice, people like the United States, the Western world, that they will be rewarded in the afterlife with everything that they're taught is supposed to be considered a reward. You know, I think about when I was five, six, seven years old, how easy and willing I was to believe in Santa. And not under the threat of a gun, not under the threat of a loss of life, but just because I wanted to believe. And then I imagine if I had all that other stuff working against me at such an impressionable time, what would happen? So imagine that you're five years old and this is your scenario. And so then what ends up happening is you grow up and that's just what you start to learn to believe. The same as you and I have learned that this color is black. If we had been taught from day one that this color is blue, we would know it's going to be blue. And we would look at that blue and call it black. You know, that's a, that's a version of reality that we can be taught. Inevitably, when this kind of discussion, it comes to a question of morality, and that's where I always get to. So, okay, I can play in that space and acknowledge that maybe, maybe these, these guys had these horrific childhoods and they grew up and they were put in this place, but they still had a moral, morality would still tell them that what they're about to do is wrong. There was a study done, and I think this was in the 70s or 80s, and it was, it was based off of this case, and I think it was New York. And what had happened, there was a woman that was killed in view of her entire neighborhood. She was killed in the street, crying for help. There was more than two, three dozen neighbors around and not one of them did anything to help. And you would think morality would, would compel one to help because if somebody's crying for help and they look like they're visibly getting hurt or murdered, you'd think somebody would be wanting to help. 
Upon being interviewed, almost every single one of those neighbors said the same thing. They said, well, I thought somebody else would call the police. I thought somebody else would stand in and help. Or I didn't want to risk getting hurt. Or I wasn't sure if it was really real, meaning they didn't want to risk embarrassment. Morality is a great barometer, but oftentimes morality will get discarded in our own, in, in an attempt for our own self-preservation self-preservation from physical harm, self-preservation from a loss of life. But for most of us, we're not even thinking that. We're thinking self-preservation for a loss of reputation, to not be embarrassed, to not feel shamed amongst their peers. So morality is a tricky one to go because if, you, if you've lived your whole life believing one thing and then you're put at a position of choice, and that choice would be in direct conflict with what you've been taught. And even if we're living when we know for a fact that for most of us, when we're living in alignment with what we've been taught and we're put with a moral choice, oftentimes we'll hold back because we're afraid of, we're afraid of that whole self-preservation piece came in. Uh, even I, as an example, it took me all day to get up the courage to record this video because I was terrified of what would happen if I start using this example of the trade center towers. And there's a self-preservation piece. Are people going to hate me? Are they going to hear that? And they're going to say, gosh, you're such a fake. You're so phony. You don't know what it's like. You have no idea. Like you're spreading, you know, whatever it is, like mean, hurtful stuff, because this is a, this is a, a, an experience that is deeply painful for so many, understandably and rightfully so. Again, it's not to minimize what happened. It's to allow myself to explore and ask better questions and to free myself from a prison that allows me to hold judgment over others and then thus limits my ability to have compassion and a greater depth of love for other people. If we play in the space and allow that morality might not be as powerful as we'd like it to be, and we look at it from this perspective, we can start to see very quickly how maybe it's not so much about a good versus evil, right versus wrong. Wrong to us from our perception, evil to us from our perception. But we also grew up in an environment where when we watched Commando, we got excited for Arnold gearing up and fighting the bad guys. We didn't grow up in an environment where when we watched Commando, it was hope because of the amount of food on the table and the orange juice in the pitcher. For me, the tricky thing with judgment is, is I am, whenever I catch myself judging and the awareness that came to me, the big aha, was my judgment was always a byproduct of a limited life perception. My judgment was always a byproduct of a limited life perception. Judgment became a luxury because I was only looking at it from a perception of life that I had adopted, believed, lived, it was not taking into consideration anyone else's. And then with something like the Trade Center where there's a massive amount of emotion after, we jump on that emotional wave and ride it, much in the same ways we jumped on the, our respective emotional waves and we rode it throughout the different things that have happened through 2020, COVID, George Floyd, the political spectrum. And we start riding the wave of emotion. Emotion is completely, can be very intoxicating. And we can become so drunk on it that we get blinded to even seeing an alternative perspective. We get blinded and think it's, it's idiotic and ridiculous that somebody could ever find anything about commando redeeming other than the action, the gun sequences. What are you talking about the orange juice on the table? Most of us didn't even notice the orange juice. 
we fast forward to that part to get to the blow, the shooting and blowing up. Questions. The quality of our lives is largely determined and influenced by the quality of questions we ask ourselves or we don't ask. I promise you this right now, that if you find yourself at a roadblock in life, you find yourself at a, a sticking point with your business, a challenging point with your relationship, a difficult point to overcome with your health, much of that is going to be attributed to a resistance to asking questions, questions that help you solve the problem, help you explore solutions, and instead resting on the, resting on the laurels of statements statements that keep you stuck, statements that keep things where they are. As soon as we make a statement, all the emotion that goes behind the statement comes up too. And we just might state ourselves right out of growth. Growth is not easy, my friends. It is challenging and difficult in the beginning. It is messy in the middle and it can be glorious at the end. As I went through this horribly uncomfortable self-examination piece around the 9-11 World Trade Center plane attack. I did get to a place where I would, I'd be lying to you if I said I felt deep compassion for those who carried out those acts. But I was able to arrive to a place where I was able to start to understand. I was able to start to understand more of a reason why, a deeper reason why, that made a greater sense to me than that they were just evil, that they were just wrong, and that therefore I was right, that we were all right, and that we're all good. And with that understanding, what it really started to open up for me is it started to open up for me an understanding of some of the other places I would judge. Where I was normally just quickly judge and put that label on someone or something else, I began to allow myself to seek, ask questions and understand why they may be where they are, why they might do what they do. And this was immensely freeing for me. It allowed me to let go and release some emotional baggage with family members. It allowed me to gain a bigger sense of clarity and a part of my business that I had been stuck and struggling in for a while. And it allowed me to be tapped in and feel, and feel connected to a deeper sense of purpose. A deeper sense of purpose that felt reinvigorated by asking greater questions and receiving the gifts and rewards of those questions. Usually this is the time in these where I thank our guests for being on here and, and bid you all adieu. And before I do that, what instead what I'll do is I'll extend an invitation to you. If you listen this long, I'm imagining your curiosity must be perked about questions. And perhaps it's percolating in your mind that maybe there's a better question that you could be asking yourself in your business, in your relationship, in your health, in your life. If that's the case, I'd like to extend an invitation to you. You know, post what your question is, put it in the comments below if you're watching this video on Facebook or YouTube, or if you're not, you can send me an email through social media, or if you're watching this in the podcast, or I guess you're not watching, you'd be listening to it, just email me, email me your question, email me what came up to you, email what was on your mind and heart as you listen. And we can start a discussion about it. I'm willing to bet that whatever questions are percolating around right now, they are breadcrumbs that are trying to point you in the direction of a greater truth. Maybe it's a greater truth that you've kind of always felt was there, but you never quite leaned in and began to follow. And perhaps what we just discussed today can be the first step towards that. 
So remember, the quality of your life is largely influenced by the quality of questions you ask. Start with why. Examine the what. What's the how? Release your, be willing to release the stranglehold, the handicap, the prison of labels and dig deep, explore. It's a beautiful, amazing world out there and it'll be made all the more amazing when you start to ask more questions and make a few less generalizations and statements. I hope this message helps, sending lots of love and deep appreciation for each of you for watching and listening. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you're finding value in these conversations, please rate and review on Apple, Google, Stitcher, or wherever your favorite place is to listen to